So we are reading this chapter. It's an, actually, it's a totally amazing chapter. The victory. Oh, wait, wait. That's the next chapter. Chapter 16. Right? Oh, wait. Yes, the doorkeepers of Aikunta, Jayan Vijay, cursed by the sages. So this is a um, incredible chapter. And I don't know if I should give away this at the beginning of the class, but one, but maybe just a little hint. Um, one of the reasons that it's so amazing is that by the Lord's arrangement, everything works out. Right? Uh, the gatekeepers, Jai and Vijay, they taste the fortune of serving the Lord uh, with focused remembrance, which is what they had asked for. Right, as becoming Hiranyakashipu and Hiranyaksha. So they get their desire. And then the Lord gets to relish, we're going to hear about this later, the, uh, his, his desire to have a fight. So he gets what he wants. And the four Kumaras, their bliss increases exponentially because they become pure devotees of the Lord. So... For a person like myself in the conflict resolution field, this is like a win-win-win all around. <laughs> it's a perfect negotiation. Uh, although we don't, uh, and only the demigods find out about that in the last two verses of the chapter. Before that, they're like, ah! And they still become, ah, sometimes later on. Because uh, sometimes even when you know something, you can still experience so many emotions when you're going through some challenges. So we finished yesterday on, on verse 7 of chapter 16 <clears throat> when we were talking about prashadam, actually. Right, was it chapter 7? No, I'm sorry, uh, 8. We finished last time when it said that the Lord, the devotee does not take anything that is not first offered to the Lord. That's what we spoke about. So now we'll continue this chapter with verse number 9. I am the master of my unobstructed internal energy. Who's speaking? The Lord, yes. And the water of the Ganges is the remnant left by my feet, well, after my feet are washed. That water sanctifies the three worlds along with Lord Shiva, who bears it on his head. If I can take the dust of the feet of the Vaishnava on my head, who will refuse to do the same? The Brahmanas, the cows, and the defenseless creatures are my own body. Those whose faculty of judgment has been impaired by their own sin look upon these as distinct from me. They are just like furious serpents and they are angrily torn apart by the bills of the vulture-like messengers of Yamaraj, the superintendent of sinful persons. So, um, this is hinting at the fact that we should see everyone, everything, as connected with Krishna. Anashaktasya vishayan yartaham upayunjita 
nirbanda krishna sambande yuktam vairagya uchati that by that real renunciation is when you can see the sambanda of everything with krishna and then what to speak of in this these verses we're hearing about the brahmanas and the vaishnavas or you know, we could say for our for our um, use brahmana vaishnavas devotees and in the purport Prabhupada talks about defensive defenseless creatures um, or things uh, the cows brahmanas women children and old men so I guess you you get two you get double if you're an old brahmana or if you're a woman brahmana then you have two two reasons to be protected <laughs> right but this protection is, um, they're defenseless and therefore they should be, they should be protected. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, one, the, uh, we should not see anything as distinct from the Lord ultimately. That's a very advanced stage of Krishna consciousness, the Uttam platform, where actually, not only that, but one sees all, everyone is serving the Lord except for themselves. Any thoughts? Okay. On the other hand, uh, this is now verse 11, which we were supposed to read. On the other hand, they captivate my heart, who are gladdened in heart, and who, their lotus faces, enlightened by nectarian smiles, respect the brahmanas, even though the brahmanas utter harsh words. They look upon the brahmanas as my own self and pacify them by praising them in loving words, even as a son would appease an angry father, or as I am pacifying you. <laughs> so here, Krishna. So in the purport, so Krishna's pacifying who? No, in this, in this uh, verse. Yes, well, the four Kumaras. Yes, right. I mean, and of course, they didn't need pacify, but he's playing this role. And, and it's interesting in the purport, because the purport talks about a situation that happens rarely, but it's usually the other way around. So let's, let's look at it. It has been observed in many instances in the Vedic, well, I say rarely here, probably says many instances, so we'll go by that, <laughs> that when the Brahmana or Vaishnava curse someone in an angry mood, the person who is cursed does not take it upon themselves to treat the Brahmana or Vaishnava in the same way. There are many examples of this. For instance, the sons of Kuvera, when cursed by the great sage Narada, did not seek revenge in the same harsh way, but submitted. Here also, when Jai and Vijay were cursed by the four Kumaras, they did not become harsh towards them, rather they submitted. No, what's in, any other examples you can think of? The cursed Parikshit Maharaj. Yes, Shringi, Shringi, he has to die in seven days. And it's said that he could have counteracted that curse, but he accepted it. Yes. And of course, because of that, the Bhagavatam was spoken. And again, with one thing, so many things happen. Um, That should be the way of treating Brahmanas and Vaishnavas. 
One may sometimes be faced with a grievous situation created by a pramana, but instead of meeting him with a similar mood, one should try to pacify him with a smiling face and mild treatment. Now it's usually the other way around. Usually we, I mean, at least in classes, we usually talk about how we should react if, let's say, a non-devotee or someone who's not Krishna conscious uh, offends us, right? We should be tatik shiva karunika surida savadehinam, right? That the tatik shiva karunika, one should be tolerant and merciful. But here, what happens when a devotee curses you? <laughs> and we should try to um, pacify them, not fight fire with fire. Um, at the end of the purport, it says, it is specifically said that to pacify the brahmanas, one's face should be lotus-like. A lotus-like face is exhibited when one is adorned with love and affection. It, in this respect, the example of the father's being angry at the son and the son's trying to pacify the father with smiling and sweet words is very appropriate. So it's, 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 a, it's an interesting discussion here. That they have captivated my heart who are gladdened in heart and his lotus faces enlightened by nectarian smiles respect the brahmanas even though the brahmanas utter harsh words. So it's an it's a interesting situation. So how to deal with that? It's, it's a challenge because the nature is to either fight back or to say, okay, I know I shouldn't, but in the service of the Lord and to correct things in the temple or amongst devotees, I should correct someone. I mean, we might see it one practical application of this is when the spiritual master chastises the disciple. Of course, those aren't, those aren't harsh words caused by passion, but rather they're, they could be harsh words caused by compassion, right? That the, the, the spiritual master may chastise the disciple to help that person. Uh, just like in one place, Srila Prabhupada was lamenting about the good old days, the early days in ISKCON in 1966-67, said when I didn't have to chastise anyone. Because right? in those days he was just, yes, everyone come, come, do as you like, think of Krishna, and you know, can bring a toilet paper and that's appreciated. But then when he wanted to train the devotees in proper Vaishnava sadachar, Vaishnava character, and really make them representatives of him and of Krishna and of the organization, et cetera. Um, that kind of training, that, tra that takes some training. And training means there's a right and a wrong. Right? Uh, however, the devotees, uh, in 99% of the cases, there's a few exceptions, took it as said here, that it was done with a love and affection. It was, or, it, or at least they understood it was for their good that Prabhupada was doing that, or? Pardon me? Yes, constructive criticism, yes. And also the duty. It's, it's, we, we buy into this when we take initiation. <laughs> it's part of the program, right? Because the idea is that the more advanced devotee just wants to help us. So if Offering encouraging words helps us, they offer encouraging words. If offering chastisement helps us, they offer chastisement. They're not attached to either the chastisement or the encouraging words, only attached to helping. 
person progress. So according to the time, the place, and the circumstance, one may choose, uh, what is it used? High-sounding words? That was, those are the words that were described when the Brahmanas actually uh, got rid of Venu. They cursed him with high-sounding words. Yes, Prabhu, you have a question. Microphone's right there. It's so true that uh, uh, no, uh, a spiritual master or person who's really care, like if there is lit even a little bit of love, uh, the person like, you know, who took the shelter of, they can experience that love, uh, with love that uh, the chastisement is not a chastisement. The, right. The, the, no, without love, there is a chastisement that's different, but like uh, when there is love, mm -hmm. uh, when Prabhupada says rascal, like initially that like, I was like, what? And then like, as I got attached to Prabhupada, then when he says rascals, I'm literally laughing, like, hey, you know what he's saying, what is he meaning as rascal in that? Right. <laughs> right. Yes, that's a good point. Uh, trust is another word that may come up. Love and also trust. If somebody, if you trust someone, then if you just think for a second about, maybe we did this before, if you think of someone in this world that you really trust, and then if you think of someone in this world that you really don't trust, and then you think about their actions, and how you interpret their actions, you'll see a vast difference. That someone who, who you trust and someone who you distrust, if they both perform the same activity, you may look at it completely differently. Or if they're talking to you and say the same words, you may interpret those words or understand those words bless you, very differently. And that is because of the different levels of trust. So trust is another very important thing here. So here, assuming that we're talking about bona fide brahmanas, bona fide Vaishnavas, then that would mean that the trust level is relatively high. And therefore, one would react in this way to even harsh words of such a person. Okay, other thoughts? All right, then the next verse was also on our list to read. These servants of mine, who's he talking about? Who are the servants? Jai and Vijay, have transgressed against you, not knowing the mind of their master, not knowing Krishna's mind. I shall therefore deem it a favor done to me if you order that although reaping the fruit of their transgression, they may return to my presence soon and the time of their exile from my abode may expire before long. So here Krishna is showing, Narayan showing his affection for Jaya and Vijay. Okay, they messed up, but I want them back quickly. Right, so he's showing the Kumaras. Indirectly, he's preaching to the Kumaras. Prabhupada writes, it is to be assumed that there is no possibility of a misunderstanding between the Lord and the devotees, but when there are discrepancies or disruptions between one devotee and another, one has to suffer the consequences, although that suffering is temporary. So if one basically offends another, they suffer the consequences, although the suffering is temporary. The Lord is so kind to his devotees that he took all the responsibility for the doorman's offense 
and requested the sages to give them facilities to return to Vaikuntha as soon as possible. So Krishna's saying, it's my fault. Later on, we're gonna, we'll discuss this a little bit in more detail. Because actually at one time in this chapter, everyone says it's their fault. So Krishna didn't say not even a word to Jayavijaya that for their wrong behavior. He still instead that he was coming and protecting them and then doing pacifying words to uh, Kumaras. Right, it seems that he's focusing on the four Kumaras, Ku yeah. not on Jay and Vijay. And Jay and Vijay. And yeah. formally he, he also accepted that like he did that mistake on behalf of them. You know, in yeah. previous verses I believe that like uh, those things were so touching to me. Well, it's interesting, you know how um, I don't know if it's it's the same. I'm just, but you, in, in, especially in India, I see this. Like if I'm if I want to correct Andy, right? I'll say, "This Andy is such a nonsense," you know, or whatever. But I'm not looking at him; I'm looking at you. You ever seen that? <laughs> um, so <laughs> maybe something like that. Who knows? But go ahead. Well, also the we say where that he was focusing on the four Camaros, but also it's pointed out that they never entered. Uh, that region. The Vaikuntha, yes. The Vaikuntha. They actually never went in. So they were at the threshold, and he was lecturing them, and then they left. So that's really what transpired mm. in, the, in that sense. Yes. Interesting. Right at the doorway. Yes, Krishna came out. Yes, yeah, Krishna came out. It's kind of like in Rathayatra, the Lord comes out of his temple. And gives his darshan to everyone. It's not exactly the same, but he gives his darshan to the world. I guess what I was thinking, so in that sense, they were still lower, even though they were Brahmanas, they were still lower than his two servants, because his two servants lived there with him for eternity, and the other four were actually not ready to go in yet. Well, that's interesting. Uh, the, yes, the Kumaras, that comes up a little later, but I'll mention it now. The Kumaras just became devotees, and Jai and Vijay were, had been devotees for a long time and have been serving the Lord faithfully for a very long time. They were, yeah, I don't know if we would call them new bhaktas because they were totally self-realized. And plus, they immediately got the darshan of the Lord. We don't exactly get that, although we get the darshan of the Lord here at the temple. Yes. Okay, so now we're going to read uh, on. Okay. Okay, so now Lord Brahma is speaking, and he says... Even though the sages had been bitten by the serpent of anger, their souls were not satiated by hearing the Lord's lovely and illuminating speech, which was like a series of Vedic hymns. So again, this is not your average, because when generally you're affected by the mode of ignorance, anger, um, you can't simultaneously see the Lord <laughs> or or hanker after the Lord. So this is a special situation. The Lord's excellent speech was difficult to comprehend because of its momentous import and its most profound significance. The sages heard it with wide open ears and pondered it as well. But although hearing, they could not understand what he intended to do. So Krishna was like, you know, um, it was very hard to figure it out. In, in the last sentence, Prabhupada writes, they could not even comprehend the purport of the speech or what the Supreme Lord wanted to do, nor could they understand whether the Lord was angry or pleased with them. <laughs> so he was mildly chastising them in some ways, 
But obviously he was very pleased with them also. He gave them his darshan. Right? So Krishna can be uh, sometimes hard to figure out. And so they're struggling with that. The four Brahmana sages were nevertheless extremely delighted to behold him, and they experienced a thrill throughout their bodies. They then spoke as follows to the, as follows to the Lord, who had revealed the multi-glories of the Supreme Personality through his internal potency, yoga maya. So, we, um, we know that when the modes of material nature are affecting us, there are often bodily symptoms, right? For example, when we're angry, we may clench our fists, right? Or grit our teeth or whatever we may do, you know, or whatever we do, the body exhibits certain symptoms when it feels certain emotions. So here, also in the spiritual sense, uh, the four Kumaras were experiencing a thrill throughout their bodies in, in, in devotion to the Lord. The sages said, O Supreme Personality of Godhead, we are unable to know what you intend for us to do. For even though you are the supreme ruler of all, you speak in our favor as if we had done something good for you. <laughs> Srila Prabhupada writes, the sages could understand that the supreme personality of Godhead, who is above everyone, was speaking as if he were in, as if he were in the wrong. Therefore, it was difficult for them to understand the words of the Lord. They could understand, however, that the Lord was speaking in such a humble way just to show them his all-merciful favor. So it's hard. Yeah, they, you know, how can the Supreme Lord take the fault for this? <laughs> right? it's, they were really, their head was reeling in, in uh, trying, to trying to grasp. They, they didn't fully grasp it, but they knew the Lord is wonderful. We may not fully grasp what the Lord's plan is for us. Sometimes as well. The Lord, oh Lord, you are the supreme director of the Brahminical culture. Your considering the Brahmanas to be in the highest position is your example for teaching others. Actually, you are the supreme worshipful deity, not only for the gods, but for the Brahmanas also. You are the source of the eternal occupation of all living entities, and by your multi-manifestations of personality of Godhead, you have always protected religion. You are the supreme objective of religious principles, and in our opinion, you are inexhaustible and unchangeable eternally. Prabhupada writes towards the end of the purport, some uh, propagandists say that regardless of what one does, he will ultimately reach the supreme abode of the personality of Godhead. But that is not valid. Does anyone know that verse in the Bhagavad Gita where Krishna says this? That it's not valid? He says, Yanti deva vrta devam pratin yanti pratin vrtaha putani yanti puteja yanti mam yajinopimam Those who worship 
the pitas, they go to that planet. Those who worship the demons, they go to there. Those, you know, those who worship the demigods, they, and those who worship me, come to me. He doesn't just say, all paths lead to the same goal. The Lord is eternal. We accept that. The Lord's service, servitor is eternal. We struggle with that a little bit more to be conscious of the fact that we're eternal. And the Lord's abode is also eternal. We may accept that theoretically, but it's, you know, we don't probably wake up every morning thinking, oh my God, what's happening in Vaikunta or in Goloka Vrindavan right now? Because according to this, there's all kinds of things going on in that spiritual world far, far away. They are all described here as sanatana, or eternal. The results of devotional service, therefore, is not temporary, as is the achievement of heavenly planets by worshiping the demigods. Now, this is also important. Um, we know in the, there's a verse in the Bhagavad Gita, Yehi sansparsa jabhoga, dukkha yonaya evite, and then the next line is the line I want to focus on, adi antavata kaunteya nateshu ramate buddha, that it says that the intelligent person does not take pleasure in the sources of misery, which are due to contact of the senses with the sense objects. And then it says adi, which means what? Beginning and anta means just like adi lila and anti lila. So adi antavata kanteya, they have a beginning and an end. And then nateshu ramate buddha, the buddha, the intelligent person, does not take pleasure in them. So beginning and end. And then someone might argue, maybe, maybe with some validity, let's discuss. Well, you, what do you enjoy? You enjoy your prasadam. You enjoy your kirtan, you enjoy your classes, you enjoy your pilgrimage to the holy dams. Adi anta, they have a beginning and end. So what's the difference? Well, here's one way to look at the difference. Um, the result of devotional service, therefore, is not temporary because the Lord is eternal, we're eternal, the Lord's abode is eternal. It, it, as is the achievement of heavenly planets by worshiping the demigods. So here we're talking about more about destinations, but still, those the, the sought-after destinations are temporary, whereas the, you know, we hear about this devotional bank account. Right? And so whatever is done as service to the Lord, this is also said in the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Nehabi Kramana Sosti Pratyavayo Navijite, that even a little advancement, so uh, you know, protects us from the most dangerous type of fear. So we have like this bank account in our heart, or, or rather, maybe it's better in our relationship with Krishna. And whatever deposits are put in there, you only get interest. <laughs> Whereas deposits put in the bank account of karma and gan. Um, they, you put, you may get some interest for some time, but sinye punye marche loka vishanti, at the end, it's zeroed out, so to speak. And we, we again fall from the heavenly planets back down to an earthly existence to continue our sojourn in the material world. 
So that's one way to look at it, that the results, one way to look at that verse from the Bhagavad Gita, the results um, have an in eternality to it. We get an, uh, an e eternality result just by sitting here for an hour and a half listening to the Bhagavatam. It, it's added to the account because it's bhakti. <clears throat> the sages wanted to stress that although the Lord out of his causeless mercy says that he worships the Brahmanas and Vaishnavas, actually the Lord is worshipable not only by the Brahmins and Vaishnavas but by the demigods. So any thoughts on this? Yes. I was wondering, you said that um, jnana, like karma and jnana, they don't go in our spiritual bank account. But wouldn't it be that like jnana can also be spiritual? And So would it be like, say I'm a jnani this lifetime and I have to come back in next lifetime. Would I have that knowledge still? Would it come back easily, or because of course I'm not born with that knowledge? But so how does how does that work? Jnana can also be spiritual knowledge. Yes, it just depends on how we're in uh, how we're using the word. So yes, I was using it in the sense of um, uh, the non. Well, the Brahman understanding, you know. Um, that we're not this body and things like that. Because we also hear that Arura Krishna Parampadam Tada, right? That people who are on the Brahman platform, if they don't have a connection with Krishna, again, uh, fall down, or as Srila Prabhupada would say, get involved again in mundane activities, opening hospitals was one example that he would sometimes give. Um, and you had said something at the end, though, that I wanted to come. What was your second? Your, Oh, yes, so, so um, the advantage to being a jnani, bahunam jamanam ante, jnanamam prabhajante, vasudeva sarvamiti, samahatma sadurlabha, that the, it's considered like if you really are a jnani, a really pukka jnani, and you're not involved in sense gratification, you understand the difference between the body and the soul, it's kind of that kind of person. It's like once they hear about Krishna, it's like taking a match to dry grass. It can burn quite quickly because they, you know, they have that part of self-realization. There's also a challenge in the modern day about that, and that Srila Prabhupada also points out, especially in the fourth chapter, verse 10 of the Gita, that you can get kind of a conditioned to an impersonal concept, and it, it's sometimes hard to give that up. So does that answer you? Yeah. Yes, Henry. Um, I, I think you said that we, you get eternal spiritual benefit just from sitting through this hour yeah. and a half class. Well, what if someone was here, but their mind was so disturbed because of some outside thing that they could barely concentrate on the actual Bhagavatam? Would they still get the benefit? Some benefit. It is maybe not the same amount, just like Srila Prabhupada would say about his disciples. Of course, this was him speaking, which is obviously a very, very different potency than me speaking. Um, but he would say that sometimes he would have his disciples attend a Hindi class, or vice versa. There would be Hindi-speaking people in the audience, and he was speaking in English, and they didn't understand. But still, they would get some benefit. 
And of course, whenever he said the word Krishna or something, they get, you know, they hear that as well. But they said that there was some benefit just by hearing that. But obviously, understanding, and then more obviously, applying uh, would be uh, of a greater level of benefit. Right? Anything else? Okay. So, verse 19. Mystics and transcendentalists, by the mercy of the Lord, cross beyond nescience by ceasing all material desires. It is not possible, therefore, that the Supreme Lord can be favored by others. So, you know, they're, they're just making the point. Now, wait a second. The Brahmins and Vaishnavas don't give you blessings. It's the other way around. <laughs> right? Um, so here he's saying, mystics and trans, by the mercy, there, by the mercy of the Lord, they make advancement, not the other way around, for God's sakes, right? So they're just trying to establish that, no, 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 you know, it's our problem, not your problem, my Lord. Right? It's kind of like, it's not exactly the same thing, but, and maybe I mentioned this last week, if I did, forgive me, um, that uh, especially... I think I did mention, but I'll mention it again briefly, that we had Ritava Jamaraj staying at our house recently. And so when I pay obeisances to him, he pays obeisances back. And he's, he's an elderly man, and I don't really want him to pay. You know. So I feel very bad, in one sense, when I offer obeisances to him, because then he, has, then he feels obliged to reciprocate with that. <laughs> you know. Uh, and so I actually feel bad in my heart. So the, so the four Kumaras, of course, is on a much different level, but they're feeling, oh, my Lord, it's not your fault. Right? If the, if the guru steps on your toes by mistake and then he says, oh, I'm so sorry. You're like, oh, no, Kumaras, it's okay. It's okay. Right? Right? So that little, that kind of rasa is going on here. So they, they continue. The goddess of fortune, Lakshmi, the dust of whose feet is worn on the head by others waits upon you as appointed, for she is anxious to secure a place in the abode of the king of bees who hovers on the fresh wreath of tulasi leaves excuse me, offered at your feet by some blessed devotee. So they're saying, you know, hey, we don't have the goddess of fortune wanting to hover around our feet. There's a big difference between you and us. O Lord, you are exceedingly attached to the activities of your pure devotees. Yet, you are never attached to the goddess of fortune who constantly, who constantly engaged in your transcendental loving service. How can you be purified, therefore by, the, therefore, by the dust of the path traversed by the brahmanas? And how can you be glorified or made fortunate by the marks of Srivatsa on your chest? And at the end of the purport, Srila Prabhupada writes, the Lord's statement that his opulence is due to the benediction of the brahmanas and Vaishnavas is only to teach others that they should offer respect to the brahmanas and Vaishnavas, the devotees of the Lord. Right? So he's teaching that lesson. Again, let's bring it down to earth here. Um, when someone from India would come and Prabhupada would offer him, you know, some 
Sadhu and Prabhupada would offer them great respects, then the other devotees would all get, right? Because they, well, Prabhupada's offering them respect, what speak of us, right? So they would learn, they would see that, that uh, example. Hmm. So here it's saying that the, the Krishna is teaching us. So that's, that's one of the Gita values, isn't it? Acharya, to teach by example. And Krishna also says this in the Gita. Do we have a Gita here? In the fourth chapter? No, third chapter, right? Yeah, after that. Because, yeah, yeah, yad yad acharya, whatever a great man does, come and men follow, yes. But then he says, if I did not do this, then other people would follow my example, right? A cause of ruination in the world or something like that, yeah. It's okay, Prabhu, we, we got the gist of it. Yes, so, so especially in Dwarka, in Krishna's Dwarka Lila, he was setting the example of a pakka uh, grihasta. In Vrindavan, it's a bit of a different story. Well, actually not a different story. In Vrindavan, Krishna was showing how bhakti, how love transcends everything. Right? And so any time that it's seemingly Krishna was doing something seemingly wrong or immoral, or whatever, that it wasn't immoral at all. It was showing the, the as uh, the song goes, the power of love, <laughs> the power of bhakti, right? So when he went off to dance with the gopis in the middle of the night, that was out of their intense affection, to reciprocate with their intention, intense affection. When he picked up the wheel and was about to uh, attack uh, Bhishma and seemingly break his promise that he wouldn't take sides, uh, wouldn't engage in the battle, that was to protect Arjuna and to... Um, Fulfill, you know, to exchange love with Bhishma. Yeah, so it's all out, it's all out, of, out of affection. Hmm. But we can take this, uh, I think it comes up even a little later, how if people know that we're devotees, we should um, act properly. Because people, otherwise it's a black mark on, on the name of Iskhan or Krishna because, you know, we're behaving in, inappropriately. And people judge the master by the activities of the servant. Right? Just like that time, uh, Naratham Das Thakur, right? He, um, the, the great Sanskrit scholars were coming to try to defeat him. Right? And so what happened was some of his um, disciples followers of Naratam took the guise of like, you know, very kind of simple occupations, right? I don't I think it was pan salesmen or something, you know, some very simple occupations. And when these people who were very proud coming to defeat Narottam Das Thakur, when they came to, the, on, when on the way to see him, and they came to this village, and whatever it was, whether it was people fixing shoes or whatever, and they were speaking in perfect Sanskrit, they were shocked, right? And they said, how is it? And he said, no, no, everyone here speaks perfect Sanskrit because we're all disciples of Narottam Das Thakur, the greatest Sanskrit scholar. And then the, the other people got a little scared. <laughs> they didn't, just, they didn't uh, try to take on Narottam. It was Narottam Thakur, wasn't it? Does anyone know? I'm pretty sure it was Narottam Das Thakur. Any thoughts on this point?
Okay, then let us carry on. Verse 22, O Lord, you are the personification of all religion. Therefore, you manifest yourself in three millenniums. And thus, you protect this universe, which consists of animate and inanimate beings. By your grace, which is of pure goodness and is the bestower of all blessings, kindly drive away the elements of rajas and tamas for the sake of the demigods and twice-born. So we're going to go over this purport. It's a bit long, but it's worthwhile. Because first, this is a very famous, it's a famous verse because it comes up in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, so it's famous for us in that sense, because the Lord is called Tri Yuga, or Tri Yugi. Is it Tri Yuga or Tri Yugi here? Tri Yuga. He appears, and so this is uh, described, this is discussed rather in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. How is it that Lord Chaitanya is an incarnation if he's called, that he appears in three yugas, Satya, Dwapara, and Treta? So Prabhupada discusses this uh, to some extent in the first paragraph. The Lord is addressed in this verse as Tri Yuga, or one who appears in three millenniums, namely Satya, Dwapara, and Treta. He is not mentioned as appearing in the fourth millennium, or Kali Yuga. It is described in Vedic literature that in Kali Yuga he comes as Chana Avatar, or an incarnation, but he does not appear as a manifest incarnation. In other Yugas, however, the Lord is a manifest incarnation, and therefore he is addressed as Tri Yuga, or the Lord who appears in three Yugas. So why is it Chana? Because um, he comes as a devotee. as a devotee. Or more specifically, he's uh, Sri Krishna Chaitanya Radha Krishna Nayanya. The, the, he comes as a combination of Radha and Krishna. And, and then the Chaitanya Charitamrita goes into the whole very deep meaning of that. Right? That he comes, he's golden complexion because he's in the mood of Radharani. And that Krishna was trying to want to understand the love that Radha has for Krishna, that it seems so much greater than his, right? And the taste of that love, and et cetera, there's three reasons that are given. So, he, so it's a very esoteric understanding that that's why he comes as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And also, externally, to um, teach the Yuga Dharma, Sri Krishna Sankirtan. You look amazed by this, Henry. <laughs> okay. Yes. Does anyone know the three reasons? I, I just kind of summarized them. One is to taste the love that Radha had for Krishna. Does anyone know? There's other two that they're all kind of connected. Okay, we'll look it up later. Okay, now the next paragraph gives another meaning of Tri Yuga. Sridhar Swami describes Tri Yuga as follows Yuga means couple, and Tri means three. The Lord is manifested as three couples by his six opulences, or three couples of opulences. In that way, he can be addressed as Tri Yuga. The Lord is the personality of religious principles. In three millenniums, religious principles are protected by three kinds of spiritual culture, namely austerity, cleanliness, and mercy. The Lord is called Tri Yuga in that way also. In the age of Kali, these three requisites to spiritual culture are almost absent. But the Lord is so kind that in spite of Kali Yuga's being devoid of these three spiritual qualities, 
He comes and protects the people of this age in his covered incarnation as Lord Chaitanya. Lord Chaitanya is called covered, in quotes, because although he is Krishna himself, he presents himself as a devotee of Krishna, not Krishna directly. The devotees pray to Lord Chaitanya, therefore, to, to eliminate their, um, the devotees, yes, to eliminate their stock of passion and ignorance, the most conspicuous assets of this yuga. In the Krishna consciousness movement, one cleanses himself of the modes of passion and ignorance by chanting the holy name of the Lord, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, as introduced by Lord Chaitanya. So, we are surrounded by passion and ignorance. And it, it's, it's not any more clear than if we keep, try to keep up. It's almost impossible to do so. But try to keep up with the present politics in the country. It is so much influenced by the modes of passion and ignorance. And one, doesn't, and one has to look under some rocks or somewhere to try to find any semblance of goodness with curse words being thrown at each other and, and you know, saying inappropriate, bringing up inappropriate topics to adolescents, 40,000 adolescents and things like this that are not governed by the mode of goodness. They're more governed by passion. And that's, I'm not, this is not a partisan statement that, that you know, all, all, it's a, the modes of passion and ignorance are equal opportunity employers. They don't uh, favor one party over another like that, people of, in any kind of um, political bent can be overwhelmed by the modes of passion and ignorance. But the question is, we as aspiring devotees, how often are we cognizant of the modes in our lives? And how often are we praying to the Lord to free us from passion and ignorance? How, much, how often do we really consciously understand them to be enemies of our spiritual consciousness? And in that mood, take shelter of the holy names because um, because we're at least temporarily uh, victims of Kali Yuga. We need to really focus on that 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 verse: Trinada pi sunichena, tayora pi suhishna, amani namani dena kirtaniya sadhari. That in the previous verse in the Shikshastika, the Lord is saying. Uh, the Lord is praying um, that Nanuragaha, I have no taste for the holy name because I've committed so many offenses. And therefore, the mood should be one of great humility in, in chanting. And that is when the chanting really takes effect in the most powerful way, when we're chanting in that mood of des desperate need. Um, like the child crying out for his mother. Um, that is what is ultimately required because to do something as bold as eliminate our stock, as it says here, of passion and ignorance. Because we're very much surrounded by those energies in this world. Some thoughts on that? I think, yeah, we have to work very hard because... Like you say, you see all these events in politics and everything. 
when you think about other people, say maybe they're not aspiring devotees, well, how can they possibly, with all this added, get anywhere close to finding their way out? Yeah. But it's really the same for us. We're all on a, because of these cell phones and everything, we're all on a slippery slope. So we have to really redouble our efforts almost yeah. every day to counteract it, just like anybody else. Yes, and because it's so much in the atmosphere always, but even perhaps now more than ever, um, it's so obvious that people also, you know, they pick up on the mood of the leaders. Like you quoted the verse, yad yad acharati shrestas. Whatever great men do, common men follow. So whether our present day politicians, and again, I'm saying all parties, um, are great men or not, we may get affected by their consciousness, by their activities. Because it's, 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 it's a challenge to avoid reading about it and hearing about it. If you're good at that, that's really uh, an accomplishment. If you really don't keep up with everything that is said and done, that's quite an accomplishment because it's so uh, prevalent in the world. And I find it all even a little challenging because um, some of the work that I do for the federal government uh, is in the news a lot lately because uh, of some things with the, uh, with the president and also the secretary of the Department of the Interior. So, um, yeah. The last paragraph, the four Kumaras were cognizant of their situation in the modes of passion and ignorance because although it, in Vaikuntha, or we could say just outside, they wanted to curse devotees of the Lord. <laughs> so this is the big deal that they were cognizant. That, that was a point I was making just a minute ago. How cognizant are we when we're affected by passion and ignorance? Or how normal do we just think it's, you know, we just think it's part of life? Something we may want to ask ourselves. Since they were conscious of their own weakness. Okay, so that's an important point, right? When you're conscious of your own weakness, now read the rest of the sentence, if I can. <laughs> Uh, they prayed to the Lord to remove their still existing passion and ignorance. So that's the first step, right? It's just like when we say, you know, that, that progression where we say first you're unconscious incompetent and then you become consciously incompetent. So that's the first step. They were aware that they were affected by passion and ignorance. That's a good sign. Then you can become consciously competent and then ultimately unconsciously confident. It becomes a habit, second nature, to be free of the modes of material nature in this sense, in this instance. The three transcendental qualifications, cleanliness, austerity, and mercy, are the qualifications of the twice-born and the demigods. Those who are not situated in the quality of goodness cannot accept these three principles of spiritual cultures. What are the three principles? Right, cleanliness, austerity, and mercy. For the Krishna consciousness movement, therefore, there are three sinful activities which are prohibited, namely illicit sex, intoxication, and eating food other than the prasad offered to Krishna. So here Prabhupada doesn't even say vegetarian. He says other than food offered to Krishna. These three prohibitions are based on the principles of austerity, cleanliness, and mercy. Devotees are merciful 
because they spare the poor animals. And they are clean because they are free of contamination from, un, from unwanted foodstuff and unwanted habits. Austerity is re represented by restricted sex life. These principles indicated by the prayers of the four Kumaras should be followed by the devotees who are engaged in Krishna consciousness. Any thoughts? Okay, then we'll continue. Text 23. O Lord, you are the protector of the highest of the twice born. If you do not protect them by offering worship, if you do not protect them by offering worship in mild words, then certainly the auspicious path of worship will be rejected by people in general who act on the strength of and authority of your lordship. Twenty-four, dear Lord, you never want the auspicious path to be destroyed, for you are the reservoir of all goodness. Just to benefit people in general, you destroy the evil element by your mighty potency. You are the proprietor of the three creations and the maintainer of the entire universe. Therefore, your potency is not reduced by your submissive behavior. Rather, by submission, you exhibit your transcendental pastime. So basically they're saying it's Leela. Yes. Okay. Do, do we require some measure of the mode of passion just to get our daily duties performed? Do we require some? Um, well, let, let me answer it this way. Passion is better than ignorance. Because at least passion, you, you get some things done. Right? Uh, there's, there's a unconfirmed statement that Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur said that, you know, I'm waiting, I'm praying for the day when my disciples rise to the mode of passion. <laughs> but true or not, there's some truth to that. Yes, in passion you get things done. The, the challenge is you might get the wrong things done. You know, in ignorance you always get it wrong. That's what Krishna says in the Gita, right? You know, they take irreligion to be religion and religion to be irreligion. In passion, uh, I can't remember the exact words, but you sometimes get it wrong. Um, in goodness, you see things as they are. And in transcendence, you see Krishna, and therefore you really see things as they are, right? So, it used to be, devotees would be amazed at Srila Prabhupada that he didn't do things passionately at all. He would take out his pen from his case, sign a letter, put it back in the case, close it, you know, and he, he, he was very deliberate in his actions. Yet so many amazing things happened around him by his, his devotion, his spiritual stature. But he wasn't one to um, be passionately running around here to there, although he did travel the world 14 times in 11 years. Um, and when he did, Hare Krishna, when he did do things that might seem to be the mode of passion, we discussed this before, that when he would chastise a devotee and appear very angry, and then the second that chastisement was over, he was just, again, totally peaceful. Whereas for us, when we do something in anger or, you know, we have, to, we have a, a, a cooling down time, which may be quite a while, 
But Srila Prabhupada, it was so obvious that he was only displaying that so-called passion um, for the benefit of the disciple because it wasn't coming from the mode of passion. It was coming from the impetus was not the mode of passion. The modes of material nature was from, coming from Krishna. So, yes, Michael. Um, I have a question about uh, the, the modes, the three okay. modes. We're, we all, we're all a mix of them. Yes. And to what extent are we in control of that mix or are we born into our mix? And, um, and maybe by we're trying to invest in our next life and that mixture rather than become <laughs> all goodness in this life. If we didn't have any control, then there wouldn't be any reason why Krishna spent so much time in the Gita talking about it. 14th chapter, 17th chapter, 18th chapter in particular. Um, and, and also there's warnings there. Right, Kama Esha, Krodha Esha, Raja Guna Samudbhavaha, Maha Sano, Maha Papa, Vidyena Iha Vairinam. He, he's warning us about the modes of passion, ignorance there. Um, and, and like you're saying, the results, not only in this life, but in the next, you know, yeah. Um, but we can um, adjust which modes we take shelter of especially as devotees, because Krishna is transcendental to the mode. So the idea, it's, it's, it's a great question, by the way. Um, so Krishna is transcendental, right? And there's Sudha Sattva, there's transcendental goodness, okay? And then when we're not acting in transcendental goodness, the idea is that the mode of goodness, although material, is a good safety net, just like, you know, of course, now all of the uh, the circuses are closing, right? Didn't, didn't Ringling Brothers, did it actually close or is it in a month or so? Soon. But there was, there was the idea that, you know, the, the people on the trapeze would have a net underneath just in case something happened, they could be caught, right? So our, what we want to do is cultivate goodness as a general way of dealing with this world. Uh, and that means, so when we're not being totally spiritual, we're, we're caught by, by goodness. So we do, like for example, just practical things. We have a choice of uh, whether we keep our room clean or our house clean or our car clean. Keeping it clean would be more affected by goodness. Um, passion, I'm not sure. Ignorance is, you know, there's stale food somewhere under, you know, someplace under the seat, you know, that's gone bad or, you know. Like that. So um, the kind of food we eat, we can choose what kind of food we eat and that those foods are affected by the modes of material nature. Um, how we arrange our life schedule. If we arrange our life schedule to go to bed early and wake up early, that's more of a sattvic thing as a general rule because uh, the morning is governed by goodness and the evening times governed by, more by ignorance. Who we associate with. Is very will you know we can associate with people who are more governed by the lower modes of material nature. You could even say, to some extent, where we get our news. Let's say let's talk about it very practically. Okay, there's certain um, websites that we would say are more governed by passion and ignorance. And perhaps I, I don't know if this is fair, but perhaps. The Christian Science Monitor 
or BBC, they tend to be more objective. And matter of fact, some people find the Christian, now the Christian Science Monitor has changed their thing to a pay thing because they were going broke. But anyway, they would often have articles there that, some, that a lot of people would find boring because they were just so objective. <laughs> you know, and dispassionate and about topics that weren't about, you know. Um, so we, we have choices to make about which mode we uh, can, we take shelter of. Once we surrender to a mode in one sense, it, it's an interesting reciprocation because it seems that it takes over to some extent, right? But most people, of course, are not, Familiar, like we said about the unconscious incompetent, they don't even know the modes exist, right? Um, and therefore, there's not much of an effort. Although people, without naming the modes, they, you know, know that cleanliness. For, for a lot of people, they think that's a sought-after thing, or or there's so many books about removing clutter, right, and not being a, a hoarder, right? Hoarders would probably be governed quite a bit by the mode of ignorance, it would seem. Um, so you want to add, you want to uh, ask further on that, or is that helpful at all? Yeah, that, that's very helpful. Um, I, I do sometimes wonder if these are, you know, how much you can change. Like you can appreciate the mode of goodness, but still <laughs> not keep a clean house. And maybe not keeping a clean house is a symptom of your mix of modes that you happen to have, regardless of whether you're working to shift them or, or advantage one over the other. That's an excellent, that's, that's true. Uh, therefore, I, there, that's why I made that distinction before about devotees, and I don't necessarily just mean devotees of Krishna. You, I think we all know that, that when, I'm, when I speak, I'm talking about in general theistic people and things like that, because I think God can help us more than necessarily we can because of our, because as you point out, our conditioning is, straight, is quite strong. I mean, people can change their conditioning. Um, I think the main thing is, do they want to? Because if the desire is there, then, you know, you, even a person who's been very dirty their whole life, they can, they can force themselves to be clean and usually see the benefit of it. A lot of it rests on desire. Is that okay? Yeah. Other thoughts? Yes, two, two more. You have the mic, so you go Well, first. just very quickly. It just occurred to me while we're talking about that. When you're in uh, heaven, or Vaikunta, there's only one mode, goodness. So the other two are like merge lanes, right? They're all going to have to merge into goodness. So you, you have to get out of that lane one way or the other either in this lifetime or yes. you only have a certain amount of time until it becomes one lane. But even mundane goodness <laughs> is absent in Vaikuntha. Mundane goodness. So it's called Shuddha Sattva, or transcendental goodness. Because goodness uh, also has its downside. It conditions one to knowledge and happiness. Right? You can become proud of being happy or being full of knowledge. And then arrogance is a sign of passion. Yes. 
And and also as as Michael very wise you know um, wisely brought up, we're often mixtures. You know the Bhagavatam, the Bhagavad Gita explains those three, but it also but uh, also goes on to explain the the example. It's such a great example of the three primary colors, right? But then you mix them in different proportions in different ways, and then you get all kinds of the colors of the rainbow, basically, you know, more, more, more than the colors of the rainbow, there's such a variety, right? So we're, we're a mixed thing, and so we can be governed by different modes throughout the day, and we are, like I said, according to the time of day, according to the, what we drink, what we eat, who we associate with, what we listen to. These all affect the mode that affect, you know, what modes we're governed by. Mm. Yeah. Music. Would you say that heavy metal is a different mode than Mozart? Yeah. Hare Krishna. Yeah, I, I was going to point out uh, how I came to Krishna Consciousness series. There's a story of Gauri Das. He, he was uh, in high school. He was into gangs. And then he gave that up and got into drugs and eventually you know he relates his story and he became a devotee so he he, he realized i guess the um unconscious incompetence and slowly moved up yeah so that's an example yes and that's why we have to hear the shastra because uh the nature of the world it, it, it tends towards forgetfulness so at least by hearing Shastra, at the very minimum, we become conscious incompetent. <laughs> at the very minimum, hopefully conscious competent, but right, we keep on reminding ourselves of what we're not doing that we should be doing. <laughs> right? or, or conscious competent, keep reminding ourselves to keep doing what we're doing and not fall back because the tendency is to fall back. Other thoughts? Yes, Henry. You mentioned music, and there's a band called Shelter that they're having a reunion in Philadelphia this really? evening. Yes, and um, so but they're very, very loud, hardcore music. You know, screaming loud guitar, people jumping around, stage diving, and everything. So, uh, but they're Brahmins, and the you know most of the band members, and they. Um, or so, and they, and they, you know, the, the, the lyrics are Krishna conscious. Yeah, so, so that's it, different. So that's that's different. That's devotional service. Yes, it's uh, it's using the mode of passion in Krishna's service. <laughs> but as Prabhupada said when he was leaving the uh, Avon 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 where we live, the Avalon Ballroom. After he had done kirtan and Allen Ginsberg had chanted, of course. Grateful Dead weren't chanting, and neither was Moby Grape or Jefferson Airplane, but, uh, but just the whole mood, and he turned to a disciple, and he said, this is no place for a brahmachari. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we, have to be, we should be careful. Of course, those devotees, so they, they have to be careful also, but they're, but they're protected by the Lord if they're doing it in devotional service. But when we're going out to distribute books door to door, we may like skip the door that's the brothel, for example, just to protect our own spirit, you know, not 
challenge the modes of material nature too, too, too strongly. Okay, anything else? All right, so we are on verse 25. O Lord, whatever punishment you wish to award to these two innocent persons, so now they're calling him innocent persons, or also to us, we shall accept without duplicity. We understand that we have cursed two faultless persons. So they are coming to understand. They, they, they're getting it by the mercy of the Lord. The Lord replied. Okay, so now the Lord is replying. Uh, o Brahmanas, know that the punishment you inflicted on them was originally ordained by me. And therefore, they will fall to a birth in a demoniac family. But they will be firmly united with me in thought through mental concentration intensified by anger. And they will return to my presence shortly. So um, in this, this is like a section from 26 to 34. So what, like I said, now what we, you know, the gatekeepers, the Kumaras, and the Lord have all taken blame for the curse uttered by the Kumaras, right? Um, after being cursed, Jai and Vijay thought themselves in error and liable to be punished. Uh, they asked only, right? What did they ask only? We said it earlier. Yes, well, they always remember the Lord. Yes, the Lord remains in their heart. Yeah, they, don't forget, they never forget the Lord. Um, and similarly, after seeing the Lord and hearing his dedication to his devotees, the Kumaras understood they did wrong and the supremacy of devotional service. They thought they should be punished, right? like Jai and Vijay. And they requested here, we just said that, that even, if, even if you punish us you know, and send us to hell, please uh, let us always remember you in our heart and minds. And the Lord took responsibility for his devotees' actions Right, we heard that in the fourth chapter, the fourth verse earlier. Now the Lord is revealing the truth. The entire episode was a pastime he ordained. He preordained. Um, and therefore, as we heard in this verse, this is what will happen. Okay. In the purport, it says, without the Lord's sanction, nothing can happen. It is to be understood that there was a plan in the cursing of the Lord's devotees in Vaikuntha, and this plan is explained by many stalwart authorities. The Lord sometimes desires to fight. Any thoughts on that? Okay. And Prabhupada goes on to explain how sometimes Krishna just wants, you know, wants to fight. Yes. In this particular scene, I see all of them are winners here. Everyone is winner. Win-win-win. Like, win, win. Whatever you started with, like, uh, totally that perspective was not there. Like, I was in confusion initially, what's happening here. And then, like, I see there is a win perspective. Everyone wins. And even the demigods later on, right, in the end of this chapter, they finally hear, oh, what's going on? And they're like, oh, okay. You know, and uh, how, uh, I, I'm not able to describe the word that, like, influence of the God, like even if it's a situation and situation is so blissful, like everybody's becoming happy. Krishna takes care of everything within one action sometimes. Yeah. Many, yeah, many things happen because of one action. Right. So, yeah. So that was a very wonderful thought. Yeah. 
Yeah, yes, yes. It's kind of a mystery, but the mystery is solved that, because everyone's saying, it's my fault, it's my fault, it's my fault. Then when Krishna says, it's pastime of his. Lord Brahma said, after seeing, text 27, the Lord of Vaikuntha, i.e. the Supreme Personality of Godhead, in the self-illuminated Vaikuntha planet, the sages left that transcendental abode. The sages circumambulated the Supreme Lord, offered their obeisances, and returned extremely delightful, delighted at learning of the divine opulence of the Vaishnavas. So what's one of the main lessons they got out of this? How great the Vaishnavas are. Because they were seeing the relationship between the Lord and the Vaishnavas. So that's one of the great lessons they got. The Lord then said to his attendants, finally speaks to Jayavijay, <laughs> depart this place, but fear not. All glory is unto you. Though I am capable of nullifying the Brahmana's curse, I would not do so. On the contrary, it has my approval. Hmm. So here's something interesting. This is from Jiva Goswami. He, uh, he indicates that the devotional intimacy between the Lord and his gatekeepers was greater than that between the Lord and the Kumaras. Um, Jiva Goswami explains that um, specific Bhagavatam verses, like the one we just read, make it clear that Jaya and Vijay were the Lord's personal associates and had achieved the special mercy of his close service. The Kumaras, on the other hand, were more distantly associated with the Lord in the mood of awe and reverence. Also, Lord Narayan told Jaya and Vijay their, quote, departure from Vaikuntha was foretold by Lakshmi, the goddess of fortune. She was very angry because when she left my abode and then returned, you stopped her at the gate while I was sleeping. <laughs> Assured by the Lord they, they would soon return to Vaikuntha, Jaya and Vijay fell into the material world and entered Ditti's womb. How are we doing time-wise? Oh, we still have 10 minutes. This departure from Vaikuntha was, oh, I just read that. The Lord assured the two Vaikuntha inhabitants, Jai and Vijay, by, practice, by practicing the mystic yoga system in anger, you will be cleansed of the sin of disobeying the Brahmanas and within a very short time return to me. After thus speaking at the door of Vaikuntha, the Lord returned to his abode where there are many celestial airplanes and all surpassing wealth and splendor. But those two great gatekeepers, the best of the demigods, their beauty and luster diminished by the curse of the brahmanas, became morose and fell from Vaikuntha, the abode of the Supreme Lord. Then as Jai and Vijay fell from the Lord's abode, a great roar of disappointment arose from all the demigods who were sitting in their splendid airplanes. Lord Brahma continued, those two principal doorkeepers of the personality of Godhead have now entered the womb of Ditti, the powerful semen of Kasyapa Muni, having covered them. It is the prowess of these two asuras, demons, that has disturbed you, for it has minimized your power. There is no remedy within my power, however, for it is the Lord himself who desires to do all this. Purport, although Hiranyak Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakashipu, formerly Jai and Vijay, 
became Asuras. The demigods of this material world could not control them, and therefore Lord Brahma said that neither he nor all the demigods could counteract the disturbance they create. They came within the material world by the order of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and he alone could counteract such disturbances. A little later on, the devotees were also advised not to try to counteract this incident because it was ordered by the Lord. So it's kind of like, uh, does anyone know the serenity prayer? I can, I can paraphrase it. You know, what is it? It's a, it's a prayer that, you know, um, what is it? Give me the power to change things that I can change. The something to not to uh, to accept things that I can't change and the wisdom to know the difference right so here Brahma is giving the demigods the wisdom to know the difference they can't change this thing and that you know when you when there's something that is really beyond your control and you can't change of course we have we'll talk in a second about there's ways that we sometimes can influence things that we can't seemingly can't change but in general when you, when you finally realize this is beyond my control, I can't change it, that usually gives us a different angle of looking at that thing and sometimes makes us much more peaceful. Right? In, in the terms of Stephen Covey, there's a circle of influence and surrounding that is a circle of concern. And when you focus on the things that you're concerned about, you can often get pretty morose, meaning you're concerned but you can't do anything about. But when you act in your circle of influence, what you can change, right? Like, I give a mundane example. If you're concerned about global warming, right? You can't necessarily change um, the uh, politics of certain people, but you can avoid aerosol spray, you know, whatever. You can do things, you know, uh, buy a uh, electric car or whatever. You can do things that are within your, or write your congressman, you know, there's things. And when you can do things within your power, you know, then you become kind of, um, feel more empowered and you're getting something done. But if you just sit around all day saying, oh God, that person, oh God, the ozone layer, uh, global warming, you just get morose, right? So here, Brahma is saying, there's a plan, and it's way beyond your control. Now, the one thing we can do, what do you think I'm thinking about? I think there is one thing we can do when things seem to be beyond our, beyond our control that may have an influence. Take shelter, it's close, what I was thinking of. I was thinking of prayer. Yes, yes, that's why I'm saying it. Yeah, take shelter, Lord, yes. Jai Sisi Gornitai, Sitaram, Lakshman Hanuman, Radha Madan Mohan Kijai. Yes, prayer, taking shelter of the Lord, um, because it's not beyond His control. Yes. Go ahead, use the microphone though. It's on. That point was brought up in the, in the purport. They said the demigods did the proper thing. They went to the authority. They went to the authority. That's so right. you go to the authority. If, you, if there's no way you can solve it, you go to the authority. I think that's the next purport. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have five minutes, so we'll try to finish this last. It's the last verse, isn't it? Yes. 
My dear sons, the Lord is the controller of the three modes of material nature. There, there you go, just what we were talking about. And is responsible for the creation, preservation, and dissolution of the universe. His wonderful creative power, yoga maya, cannot be easily understood even by the master of yoga. That most ancient person, the personality of Godhead, will alone come to our rescue. What purpose can we serve on his behalf by deliberating on the subject? And uh, no, this isn't the one about accepting it. We passed that. It was before the purport you were discussing. But in the purport, Prabhupada writes, when something is arranged by the supreme personality of Godhead, one should not be disturbed by it, even if it appears to be a reverse uh, according to one's calculations. You know, Srila Prabhupada said that, I think he said his father would tell him that, you know, there's one manifestation of Krishna with 10 arms. Krishna wants to give you with 10 arms. And if Krishna wants to take away with 10 arms, well, how are you going right. And in the very end, the Bhagavatam's conclusion is that a devotee is never disturbed by such reverses. So we may wonder if we should define ourselves as devotees yet. <laughs> he accepts even reverse conditions as the grace of the Lord. One who continues to serve the Lord, even in reverse conditions, is assured that he will go back to Godhead, back to the Vaikuntha planets. Lord Brahma assured the demigods that there was no use in talking about how the disturbing situation of darkness was taking place, since the actual fact, it was, create, it was ordered by the Supreme Lord. Brahma knew this because he was a great devotee. It was possible for him to understand the plan of the Lord. So many people suffered. Uh, here's a short list. Parikshit Maharaj, Ambarish Maharaj, Ranti Dev, the Pandavas, Chitra Ketu. Um, they, under, they all underwent uh, so many tribulations. By ordinary vision, it would appear unnecessary. So then the question is, why do Krishna's devotees sometimes suffer? Um, Bhishma Dev, when, when he was thinking about this, why were the Pandavas suffering, he said, O king, He's talking to Prikshit Maharaj. Uh, no, to um, Yudhisthira Maharaj. No one can know the plan of the Lord, Sri Krishna. Even though great philosophers inquire exhaustively, they are bewildered. And then we hear about you know, how it was the plan of the Lord that they all were happy in the end. So, time is up, and we will... We will not only begin, we will also end chapter 17. There's not a lot of purports there, and we'll, I'll send out the homework for chapter 18. Okay? So, Hare Krishna, have a wonderful day. All glories to Srila Prabhupada.